the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of ad free content every single day. For access to all the stories at the heart of the game, use theathletic.com slash track and get 40% off your first year subscription today. Happy Wednesday afternoon. My name is Mike Trinetti. Really fun guest. I've been trying to get this guy on for a bunch of months now, and it's comical because we live about 15 minutes away from each other, and we kind of just figured that out about a year ago. So uh, he's a big guy in the NFL. He's been a phenomenal writer for a long time kind of bounced around a couple of different places including locally here in buffalo for a bunch of years uh where he is now and he now founds go long which is a an outstanding unique idea it's basically newsletter based so everything comes right to your inbox in terms of a nice big article kind of a feature article every week he's got links to happy hours with a great guest list he had peter king on last week talking aaron Rodgers. he got a couple of big-time NFL centers coming soon, unique behind-the-scenes legacy stories that you really can't find anywhere else unless you're getting guys sitting down on you know, long-form podcasts, which he also does, by the way. There's a podcast. There's a video uh, element to this. There's long-form writing, good journalistic writing here, and it comes right to your inbox. It's newsletter-based. So it, it, I, I give him all the credit in the world for kind of doing what he's doing right now. I love to hear stories of of successful people that uh, kind of went through the grind and then decided, hey, I can do this thing myself. I've got my own ideas. And uh, he's a great guy. I love the interview with him. It's golongtd.com is the website you'll be finding him on. He's Tyler Dunn, of course. That's the back end of the show. But first, a tweet popped up last night in my feed. And you know me, I'm a big baseball junkie. And I'm a big NL East guy, huge Mets fan. So... Keep your comments to yourself. <laughs> um, this one's about the Braves. This one's about Ronald Acuna Jr. And uh, Ryan Spader, who is an MLB analyst, had an interesting tweet that piqued my interest. It's, you know, uh, the last 162 games for Ronald Acuna. So spanning this year, last year, and then a little bit of 2019, just because of how things have gone with COVID. But 162, this is Acuna Jr.'s numbers. 148 runs, 50 homers. 111 RBIs, 103 walks, and 42 stolen bases. That's the kind of player the Braves have right now, okay? And I quickly just looked at his 2021 statistics, and this is what he's projecting for this 162, so only the 2021 season. 160 hits, 28 doubles, 51 homers, 106 RBIs, 30 stolen bases, and you've heard me talk about this before, but he's also averaging or projecting to 11 hit by pits. Not good. That's the one that could make all these stats go away, as it has for Mike Trout, as it has for Aaron Judge, as it has for Bryce Harper. Okay, that's what makes that's what deflates historical legacies, and that's the one that's having a whole other discussion over here. Okay, our good friend Lindsey Adler from the Athletic did a really nice thorough piece on. Foreign substances, spider tack, why it helps pitchers, why it's here, how long it's been here, and what baseball might be looking to do about it, and some specifics with Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole, um, Pedro Martinez's kind of impact on this on this conversation. So there's there's that whole element sitting over there in another room where a lot of people are doing really good work on it. Okay, I'm just talking about Acuna Jr. statistically speaking, and then financially speaking, this guy is MVP every year perennial MVP candidate. He's on one of the best teams in all of baseball. The Braves are going to sneak up on this NL. I'm telling you, they, uh, they had a really weird start and they're starting to find themselves. The Ozuna situation is probably done. That's probably done for the year in terms of baseball. I don't know if they have the pitching to get this thing to the finish line, but Acuna Jr. is just one of the reasons why this team is going to be extremely relevant. Here's the problem. And you knew I was going to turn this negative. <laughs> um, the way I responded to Ryan Spader's tweet last night was with these numbers, 5 million, 15 million, 
17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17. Those are his salaries from this year through 2028 when he will be 30 years old. Essentially, this was, look, let me break it down for you a little bit, okay? He came up in 2018, played about three-fourths of the season, okay? Made himself about 465, 465,000. Came back the second year. Obviously, we knew who he was at that point, and he made the minimum salary, a little bit more than the minimum salary in 2019. And then the Braves decided, hey, we should probably figure this out, okay? Before that 2019 season even got going, okay, April 2nd, 2019, so basically opening day, Acuna signed an 8 for 100 extension, okay? So it's only year, you know, 1.9 for him, essentially. And that means there's two years of pre-arbitration, three years of arbitration, and then, of course, free agency after that. So if we're talking about that, the Braves gave him a million dollars each of the past two seasons. So that would have been pre-arbitration years. So that's about double where he should have been in terms of where the rest of the pre-arbitration salaries are. So they doubled his salaries the, the last two years. Then year one of arbitration, $5 million is nothing to gawk at. That's a big number for year one of arbitration. Next year, $15 million, that's a really nice number. Here's where it gets, gets weird. Okay, I mean, we've, we've had arbitration three numbers upwards of $20 million now in terms of your Lindors and your Harpers and those kind of things. And we have seen players do bridge deals. Trevor Story did this. Even Harper did this, actually, for the past the last two years of his, his arbitration. Nolan Arenado did this as well, where he sort of give the team a couple of million dollar discount here and there to lock in a guarantee of 35, 36 million, something like that. It's probably right on par. Okay, if we're talking about $40 million over the three years of arbitration, which is what he got, that, that would be this year, next year, and 2023. It's not the highest, but it's up there. It's a good number. But he's going to be 25 at that point of his career, okay, after the expected arbitration years have passed, which is 2023, after 2023. That's when we get six years of 17 million a year. Good, good money. Okay. Life-changing money. No question about it. hundred million. And somebody offers you a hundred million dollars. You at least think about it, but this guy's not just somebody. He's not. All right. And he's going to be up there with top in the top three conversation for the foreseeable future, barring an injury or barring just a major setback and, and the yips, which we've unfortunately seen before in players. He's on a good team. He's on a well-built, well-run team. I don't know if it's a contending team, but that's for uh, you know the baseball gods to figure out in a couple of months. But I think this is going to be, you know, all everything's going to be there for him to succeed. Is the point I'm making? And he's locked himself into what could be truly a third of what he could be making when you're talking about Tatis Jr. and a lot of these early guys that went big early. He's going to be right there with these guys. There's no question about it. But he's sitting on 100 million. He's sitting on 94 million over the next six seasons. It's going to be an unbelievable value for the Braves. And look, they've got Freddie Freeman on an expiring contract. Do you think Freddie Freeman's going to accept, you know, 12 and a half million a year? Because that's what Ronald Lacuna's on right now over his the length of his contract. I can't see it. Freddie's been paid. You know, he's got his first big contract was certainly nice and he's worth every penny of it. He does everything for that team, always has. And uh, certainly a good guy for all intents and purposes as well in terms of outside of the field, inside the clubhouse, in front of a microphone. He took a deal that was 16.8 million per year. Eight for 135 is the contract he's, he's expiring in right now. You know, he's worth 30. My projections have him... In, with big time numbers, 27 million as a baseline, but knowing what we know about the rest of the league, he's 31 years old. So he's slightly past that point of demarcation, but he's not showing it. Okay. He's not showing it. And again, he's on a contending team. So what happens to Freddie Freeman in the next couple of months? Cause I don't think it's free agency. You know, the, the, the Braves aren't going to let their, 
veritable captain just walk away, is he going to take a Tom Brady type stance here, knowing that the kids have already done that in LBs and Acuna and a couple of others, you know, or is he going to be the guy on this roster at $28 million a year? And is that going to cause a rift, especially in three years when Acuna juniors, you know, maybe a 40, 40 guy in this league, one of five in the entire history of the sport. And he's, he's making 17 million and that's the max he can make. So I worry about this this Acuna contract. It's an outstanding get for the Braves, and it is life changing money for him. So I'm not gawking at the, you know, the that what it does from a generational standpoint. I'm just saying, comparatively speaking, for the rest of the league, it is value already. And what happens on this roster when Freeman resigns? When they bring in more free agents to reinforce this roster in a year or two? When pit, when they actually go and get a pitcher, and, and pitchers now are, are making close to 40 million a year in the next 18 months or so when a couple more have to do extensions. Um, that, that number is going to get farther and farther away is my point that, that, that 12 and a half million per year and, and really 17 million per year when we get to the, his free agent seasons, incredible value. He's an incredible watch. If you haven't seen him live, I highly recommend it. He is not unlike Connor McDavid where he kind of just does things at a different speed on the baseball field, works his ass off, runs out ground balls, does everything you want in a baseball player. He's everything you want to take your kid to go to see as well. You know, fun to watch. He's good for baseball, but I worry about this contract for sure. It is very team friendly. Let's get to some football with Tyler Dunn. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more today about the pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right, this has been a long time coming. I don't get to say this very often, but a local guest, a 716er, and one of the best, one of the, uh, one of the local treasures, really, Ty Dunn. He's at Ty Dunn on Twitter. Uh, you've probably read his writing somewhere. He's bounced around a little bit. He's, uh, he's now the founder of Go Long, a enterprising pro football journalistic newsletter slash I, I mean it's the world right it's like live interactions with guests right right ty welcome you you got it man got, really appreciate the intro appreciate you having me and uh, my jaw just about hit the ground when i found out you were a buffalo buffalonian so awesome <laughs> congrats on everything you've built up over there it's it's incredible i, I gosh i'm probably on there every day I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a lot of work, and I know you know how that goes. Um, I think I, I, I kind of found you on the Buffalo news scene, but you got pretty big once you moved out to Green Bay and started you know, getting into those waters, as you know, <laughs> we're finding out. It can be pretty polarizing out there. Just kind of lay out your career for us a little bit, if you don't mind. No doubt, Mike. Um, so I'm from uh, like the southern tier, our south of uh, Buffalo, Salamanca, Ellicottville area, and um, – went to college uh, out of Syracuse, loved it, you know, always wanted to be a sports writer. So that, that was the, uh, the easy choice there. After the football career flamed out at St. John Fisher, uh, you know, D3, it was a little tougher, a little tougher than I thought. So, <laughs> um, but no, uh, man, career-wise, um, yeah, like, like you mentioned, I was at the Buffalo News and at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel covering the Packers for, I believe, like four and a half, five years. I came back to the Buffalo News and covered the Bills, Rex Ryan's uh, first year, which, I mean, that was probably the most fun I've ever, ever had. Be. Has to be. Oh, and driving around in that big truck around here, it was just must-see. It. Was, I mean, I'm so ticked off that I didn't, like, just keep notes every day on that beat because it was something insane every day. Like, it, it was – I mean, he didn't really care what anybody said or did, so it just made for – just like a circus scene every day in the locker room and I, hey, it made our jobs fun. So, yeah. um, and then from there, uh, bleach report reached out, they were expanding their feature department and wrote NFL features at, at BR for a little over four years, um, disbanded that department. They went a different direction as a company. So figured, you know what, with whatever it was, 10 plus years of experience covering the NFL, having relationships all around the league, 
uh, why, why not? Right. Like why, why not take the plunge, try to create my own uh, subscription newsletter, cover the game through a long form lens, how I always kind of have. And, and so far so good. I mean, there's been a, a really great contingent of Buffalo fo- followers, uh, Wisconsin followers, and just a ton of fans really all over the country. So just trying to zig where I think a lot of sports media is zagging and, and find that story uh, beyond the headlines. Yeah, so let's let's break it down a little bit, this go-along system. It's, uh, you know, is it kind of a live, almost like a presentation type? Types? I know you had Peter King not too long ago. and I, I mean, you're not localized by any means. You are you're going across the country. You're going across the sports landscape here in terms of that. But um, just what's the, what's the game plan? What are people getting when they log in, when they subscribe? No doubt. I think the goal always is just to tell a story you haven't read before. Um, and I, I think that through, especially right now through COVID and the way media is with everything kind of packaged 280 characters at a time, all of that, it's that, that long form story is kind of getting lost and whether it's, something on the inner workings of a team behind the scenes, similar to that Green Bay Packers story I did a couple of years ago at BR, you know, that kind of story tapping into sources on a specific subject or, or really just that humanizing profile on a guy. I've, I've gotten to know a lot of players from around the league and, you know, Zooms are great. You know, I've, I've talked to guys on Zoom, but I, I want to get, get them in person. I spent yeah. some time down in Florida this off season. I sitting down with Kenny Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scandling, Lynn Bone Jr., had an unbelievable story breaking down how things went south with the Raiders. So I'm really trying to chase down that story because I think it's getting squeezed out with the way sports media is today. And yeah, once a week, just to to, to bring readers and fans as close as possible uh, to pro football, I have somebody from around the game on a Zoom happy hour. And we all go on there. We all slug some beers and we all tell some tell some lies, tell some war stories. And uh, <laughs> Peter King was awesome this past week. So anyway, the next two, if people want to subscribe, uh, we're going to have Frank Winters, uh, obviously the Packers center for a number of years, the nineties and Owen Cruz with the Chicago bears, longtime oh, center. Nice. So I got to give the big uglies a little love. I love it. I love it. Um, it's really interesting. And I think you're embracing kind of the, what's happening right now with media as a whole. And, and at least you're you're diving in from that angle. You know, I agree with you. The, the sit down stuff is better. I know you'd probably rather do this over a couple of beers and, you know, and a microphone any day, but uh, kind of a nice system that you have that, that can be flexible right now, which is probably the name of the game, right? No, no doubt about it. I, I think, you know, you, you have to think outside of the box. It's, uh, it's just changing. I mean, I grew up on the newspaper and, you know, I, I still read the Buffalo News. I mean, that was my hometown paper. And, you know, I remember waking up in the morning, going to the library at Ellicottville and reading what Jerry Sullivan or Bucky Gleason or one of the columnists had to had to write, you know, hey, it's time to, you know, time to bench Drew Bledsoe for J.P. Laws and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, that was kind of the rhythm that we all were in. And it's just it's just changing. And I don't know what the future is. I don't know what people, you know, where people are going to kind of go. Is it all going to become TikToks and Instagram posts? Who knows? But if you want just a story in full that's well sourced and just kind of tells you something you didn't know before, that, that's what I'm hoping to deliver. Um, you know, all the time here at Go Long. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't think you know. We they've tried it a few times, like a formal sports talk show. Right? HBO has done this a couple times with Simmons and Joe Buck and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the there's a, there's a yearning for that, for that kind of content. I mean, people want to hear the actual behind the scenes stories. They definitely don't want to read them. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I think those days are gone, unfortunately, but I think, you know, the way you're packaging, this is like a happy hour kind of setting. That's probably your, the best chance to get this stuff out there. Don't you agree with that? Could be. I mean, I'm hoping to do both, you know, and, and so when, when I do write stories, they'll be at least right where people are, like right in their email inbox. So you plug your email in and boom, you know, the, the stories are right there. I mean, there is a URL, golongtd.com. Everything's there as well. But I, I love that concept of people just kind of, you know, we all just maniacally refresh our emails throughout the day. So they're right there. But I, I'm with you. I know that a lot of people are busy. So to sit down and read, you know, that can be difficult. So that, that's why we have a, we have a podcast as well. Jim Monis, who works for the the Eagles, the Saints, and the Bills in the front office, and I'm sure you know him well with what you do. Yeah. Um, we have a podcast. It's a lot of fun, and he tells a lot of stories. And then those happy hours, yeah, I mean, that's just a chance to really you know, get somebody in their element, uh, drink a beer or five, tell some stories, and make it as 
you know, just laid back as possible. Right. Uh, it's it, it's been great people, for people just to kind of ask these players themselves whatever they want. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, hopefully some of these people can get back to that, right? I mean, <laughs> it's a weird right. time right now to be a sports reporter, I would imagine. I've never dabbled, but it's, it seems like there's a lot of uh, angst and anxiety right now with the whole process. There, there, there is, you know, I mean, there's, I, I try to, I wish I lived in the, in like in the 60s and 70s, right? Like you hear those stories about reporters just going to the freaking local watering hole and hanging out with, you know, Bart Starr or something. Even know. here, the you big know. tree, right? I mean, the big, they just used to pile the into tree. the big tree. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right there around uh, the corner from the stadium. Uh, I wish it was that. It's not. But, you know, you can't do anything to change it. Uh, let's try to fight the good fight and you know, bring people as close to the game as they can when the league, that's the last thing the league wants, right? They're, they're trying to box out reporters. And, you know, we'll see if, we'll see if they're going to use this uh, crisis as an opportunity now. Mm. I mean, I the Washington post report on the, I don't, it's not official, but the fact that the league might not allow reporters in the locker room this year, even if they're vaccinated and, and free of COVID, that's, I mean, that's just asinine. So I, I hope it's not true, but if that's the case, I, I wouldn't shock me either because you know, they, they kind of operate like they're the USSR sometimes. So honestly, let's stay here for just like 30 more seconds. What, what are the big differences between like a Zoom interview versus a face-to-face? And maybe not, you know, you're kind of doing like be- over beers, you know, versus the locker room. I'm sure you've, you've kind of had a, your hand in all of this. You know, what's missing over that Zoom conference that, you know, is showing up in the work right now? I don't think you're going to really get somebody to open up like they would in person. And that, that, that's coming from somebody who has had some really good zoom one-on-ones. I think I'm trying to think back and we've got a story on DJ Reed with the Seahawks coming up this Friday. Mm. Um, he absolutely opened up on his rise. Uh, Tavon Wilson was great. The DB uh, AJ Dillon, we chatted on zoom. Um, we, I've, I've done a lot and, and they were all really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But you know, when I took that trip in March to Florida, just cause a lot of guys hang out there in the off season and, and try to do some stories in person. It was, Man, it was it was great. It was like you know the pre-COVID BR days all over again. I mean, uh, Lynn Bowden is in his living room breaking down how Mike Mayock and John Gruden just failed to get to know him as a player, number one, but as a person. Really? I mean, basically said like you know after his home was raided in Youngstown and they didn't find drugs, all they did was find his guns. He felt like they viewed him as somebody he wasn't, and he got emotional about it. Um, and so whether it's something like that or Sammy Watkins, um, when I was at Bleach Report talking about good entities and bad entities entering his body and, you know, spirits and demons and, sure. uh, gosh, astral realms. I had a dime, I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get that on a Zoom. You're not going to get that on a phone conversation. You're not. You're only going to get that, you know, over dinner, over a couple beers, over, you know, something in person. So I, I hope that you know, we all hope the pandemic is behind us, number one, but I, I think it is. And, and I'm always going to try to talk to a guy in person if it's possible. Fair enough. It's golongtd.com. That's where you can get started on this whole process. And it's worth your time. Of course, he's at Ty Dunn on Twitter. Also a great follow as well. Kind of shaking it up here and there. <laughs> I always love that when you, uh, kind of wake up and shake up things a little bit. You've done that in your past at, at your various jobs and you're continuing <laughs> to do that as I do as well. A little passive aggressiveness on Twitter, you know, never hurt anybody. Speaking of <laughs> passive aggressiveness, it's time to start talking about Aaron Rodgers, sir. <laughs> There's a good segue. Thank I you. like it. I, I'm like not even it. good at this. I, I'm going to give myself credit on that one. <laughs> Look, you know, you've been close to this guy. You've kind of battled this guy a little bit. We'll leave that part of it alone. That's years old, but you know, I don't imagine you're getting face to face with this guy right now to, to hash what's going out right now, but what is going on right now? Because you have been close to this team. You've been close to these kind of situations before in the past, you know, 10 plus years, you've seen quarterback battles before. Is this old guy feeling left out? Is this, I'm better than this situation. Is this just, I like to stir things up every now and then, and this is a good, good time to do it because I don't really want to be there right now. They've got better things to do. Or is this, Maybe he's actually starting to see the end of his career in front of him, and he's kind of second-guessing some things. I tend to think it's it's the last point there, that he is genuinely dug in. 
he genuinely has issues he can't get past. And I would be surprised if he played for the Packers again. Um, everything I've been told, whether it's sources around the quarterback, around the team, players themselves, they, they all really think this is real, um, that this isn't just Aaron Rodgers trying to publicly punish the Packers and embarrass them and make them look bad in the in the court of public opinion, which they, they do right now. I mean, you're not going to turn on the TV and, and hear anybody really come to Brian Gutekind's defense, even though I mean, he's done a hell of a job as a GM. So I, I, I get that. But and, and we have seen him, you know, sit down with some of his, his friends in the media there in Milwaukee and say everything was a bunch of smears and fake news. Trust me, lived it. <laughs> uh, there's always that possibility that he that he could do that because he's given himself that plausible deniability. But whenever I bring that up to people, they say, no, like he he would need massive changes in the front office to return is what I was told a couple of days ago. Like he would need people fired to play for the Packers again. The Packers aren't going to do something that ridiculous, like firing a GM who's gone 13 and three in back to back years. So mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, he can't get past the idea that they took a quarterback when he didn't want them to take a quarterback. And there's some Kumaro stuff sprinkled in there, some Jordy Nelson stuff sprinkled in there. It's bad, and I don't really see a resolution. I know everybody's kind of pitching a resolution, and a lot of them are really good. I mean, we had Peter King on the happy hour, and um, I, I like this idea. He's like, you know, yeah, what I tend to agree with of, the two tie. Yeah, I, even if you do bring him into that office and give him some input, at this point, I feel like the damage is done, and he's willing to miss games, lose money, sit out to prove his point. Can you can you pinpoint this at all for me? I mean, you mentioned Jordan Love. Obviously, that's part of it. But is it is it personal? Have there been personal attacks on Aaron Rodgers, you think, that have come from the front office down? Or is it, it – I, I just have such a hard time believing it's it's transactional, that, they, that he believes they haven't done enough for this roster when, look, he knows what, where he is. I mean, it's June 9th, so free agency is really just getting started for Green Bay. They, they don't dabble in March. You know, they start thinking about things in April and then they start signing players after that. That's just how it's worked for 25, 30 years there. Um, Which side is it really focused on? Is it is it a personal thing with Aaron Rodgers or is it really something to do with this roster construction? I think it's more personal than roster construction. No, I I think that he would much prefer they draft a receiver than Jordan Love. And it's kind of funny. I mean, I know that they would have taken Justin Jefferson if he was there. So. Totally different story if that was the case. Um, I, I'm sure, like, yeah, he, he would have liked them to not get rid of Jordy Nelson when they did. You know, never mind the fact that Jordy Nelson was terrible. His career for the was Raiders. over. <laughs> yeah, he was done. Like, you know, I mean, he, just a stat. I want to say it was like, I think he averaged like 1.6 or 1.7 yards after the catch there. I mean, his, he was done. He's physically finished. But, you know, I, I don't. I think it's beyond that. It's it's. It would be great if he did what Brett Favre did and sat down with Brett Van Susteren and just said exactly what he wants, sure. exactly how he feels. But everything's kind of passive aggressive. Everything is nebulous, and it's all about the people and whatever the heck he said to Kenny Mayne. So I, I do think it is something beyond the transactional stuff. That, to your point, I think it's he doesn't. He thinks the culture there needs to change. Um, in his mind, it's it's a terrible culture. And he doesn't think it's going to change unless people within that front office are gone. That ain't going to happen. So if I'm Green Bay, are you really going to call that bluff? Like, are you really going to think that he's just going to show up, play football, and everything will be fine? Um, That's where it gets interesting because training camp is going to be here before we know it. So, I mean, you've dealt with these players for a long time now, and you've dealt with the front office side of it too. So you you know both sides of the story generally with a lot of these teams. Here's the question that I keep, you know, asking myself internally. When we get to July 20th, you know, and camp's there, preseason's sitting there, you know, real football's about to start to come into focus. How much interaction is there really with Aaron Rodgers in the front office at that point? Like, can't it just all go away? <laughs> no, I don't think it goes away. Like, I don't, I don't think they're talking now. I don't think they've been talking for a while. I don't think they're going to talk much in the future. I mean, they've already flew out, flown out there to California. They've they've gone through all the 
possible solutions that I think that they could go through. It's, wow. it's just up to Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, he praised the co- the players and the coaches and the fans, basically everybody but Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekind. It's like if I think Green Bay's banking on that love for his teammates and fans or whatever, like superseding his hatred and, you know, whatever's ticking them off with the front office, um, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, yeah. as I was kind of told multiple times over, that, that this is somebody that had no problem just eliminating family and friends from his life. You're like, right. I think he'll, You're right. he'll just, you know what I mean? Like, hate to go there, but it, it's true. Like, if It kind of feels like that's happening that, again, right? It's just version two of that. No doubt. No doubt. I wouldn't hold my breath, and I'd want to get picks and players for him while I could. Okay. I'm going to believe you. You've been saying this all along. I've been following you on this since day one, that you're one of the first person people I turned to <laughs> when this whole thing broke. And, uh, you, you know, you, you were reading the tea leaves right away. So I'm going to stick with you on that one. Let's get away from that. So let's, let's put that aside and put your national football reporter hat back on for just a second and humor the audience here. If you had to write a piece with the three big NFL storylines heading into the summer, where would you go? Man, you know, I've been so like just obsessed with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers sure. lately. It's tough to look away, I need to I know. take a second. I know I um you know what, what really does kind of fascinate me to, to a degree. I don't know if it's a top three storyline, but I, I wrote on it a little bit last week at Go Long and I'll, I'll definitely be coming back to it. But you know, to a tug of Viola in mm-hmm. his opportunity in Miami. I mean, you're breaking down these contracts and, and who could fit with who better than anybody else. You know, they really could have gone a lot of different directions. I mean, pre-allegations, uh, I really thought that Deshaun Watson trade made a ton of sense. Um, he wanted to be there. I know that is a fact. Like, he wanted to be in Miami or San Francisco. So he wanted to be there. I didn't think Tua looked that good last year. I know he's a rookie. I know he's coming off that hip. But it was very dinky, very dunky, very elementary. And ah, so they, they stood by Tua then. They stood by him through the draft when they had an opportunity to take a Justin Fields or or somebody, you know, that they believe in, Trey Lance. Yeah. They didn't. They trade out of that pick. They they support Tua at every turn. They give him all these weapons. I mentioned Lynn Bowden earlier. He's like the third or fourth receiver of that. Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller. I mean, this is a team that they're they're surrounding him with all of these weapons in the best possible situation. I know I talked to his trainer. His trainer just says this dude has uh, transformed himself. He's down to like 8% body fat wow. while adding, no, I'm sorry, 10% body fat but while adding some muscle, getting bigger. Um, I don't know. Every, all signs point to this. This should work out for every possible reason, but is, is what we saw last year, who, just who he is or c- can he be what, he was at Alabama with all this talent around him now. I don't know. I mean, I'm really 50-50. I'd say I was about 80-20 after watching him last year. Starting to believe a little bit more the more I talk to people, but we got to see it. No question. Um, you know, the Julio stuff, th- that kind of played out as the as the story was was written. I think Tennessee was always one of the better landing spots. I'll kind of I'll kind of spin you in a different direction though because one of the places that I at least had him as a sleeper for was a team that has done a couple of things this year and a couple of things last year that I think kind of shook up the league a little bit. And it's a similar, it's actually a transition away from Tua a little bit into Kyler Murray. I think Arizona, you know, it's a weird division. There's been a lot of movement in that division, but that's a team that I think maybe like we shouldn't be looking away from in 2021. Right. Yeah. I, that's a great point. I mean, with Arizona, I think, well, I think they started what six and two yeah. and did they finished two and six. Yeah. It was a tale of two halves. I mean, he was unstoppable that first half. I do wonder, like, did did defenses kind of figure out Cliff Kingsbury and that offense and and that quarterback where it's fast, 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 fast. It's misdirection. It's an athletic quarterback. I mean, Chip Kelly, we all thought he was kind of taking the world by storm, and then, boom, he's he's done. And, yeah, I I, I think I still believe in Cliff and Kyler Murray. I I think this is – he's not just this offensive whiz. Um, You know, I've talked to – some of his players in the past, Nick, Nick Shimanick was the backup quarterback at te- Texas tech behind Patrick Mahomes. And he's really close with, with Cliff Kingsbury. And he said, this is somebody who just is Belichickian in the hours he pours into the profession. I mean, he is, 
he's pulling film from games decades ago and constantly on this hunt for knowledge. And I, I just, I don't think he's just this, you know, sleek haired, young wonder kind, just, you know, that would come and go, you know, that was figured out. It looked like he was figured out. It looked like the quarterback was figured out. But I, I don't know. I, I just feel like Arizona could be a team that sneaks up on us. Like he'll find a, a wrinkle or two new um, to incorporate into the offense and that they'll be okay. I mean, they've got all the weapons in the world, so they, they should be able to. I think that's right. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's stay local for our third piece then. What do you think? I mean, I think it, the Bills are on a lot of people's lists, obviously, for obvious reasons. The evidence is all there. They've been creative from a GM standpoint. It's has mm-hmm. it's been, you know, maybe one impactful trade per year of Brandon Bean's legacy here. Really smart free agency in terms of option years and you know, a lack of restructures and kind of getting the you know the cart before the horse in a lot of situations. Not to mention it's completely disheveling the roster and taking a dead cap bath the second he got here. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of positives, a lot of trending ups with Brandon Bean and this Bills roster. You know. Thoughts on that as a whole, thoughts on the situation, you know, you know, we're, we're locally biased here, of course, but I think Josh Allen's on a lot of people's radars right now. You know, it's interesting. I was pretty skeptical into last year, like a lot of people when he finished dead last in completion percentage, back-to-back years, you know, talking about Tua Tagovailoa and and surrounding him him with weapons um, and wondering, well, is it the chicken or the egg thing? Like, are all these weapons going to make him better? Or vice versa, like how, how does it really work? And I, I, I really kind of thought like, well, you could you give Allen Stephon, you can give him John Brown, you can give him Cole Beasley, you can give him Brian Dayball, you can give all these weapons and coaches. At the end of the day, is he accurate? And is that something that you can coach? Apparently, it is. Yes. <laughs> so yes. That, that gives me a little. It's hope not said enough, Ty. The footwork change that that went went yeah. with Allen's off season last year. You know that kind of stuff doesn't get reported enough, in my opinion. I assume that's what you're alluding to here. Is that's the single reason this guy's better? No doubt about it. The I hips. mean, you can improve. Like coaching matters, and the offseason matters. So, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, the, the 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 jump has to be Super Bowl champs. I mean, they they've got to the AFC Championship game. Um, they were just wiped out of the out of the stadium by Kansas City. That's the bar. That's the team. The quarterback. The coach. You have to get past. Can they? Um, you know, I I think they've got the personnel. I, I do wonder identity wise if sean mcdermott is back in that moment like you can't kick those field goals you can't you know they, they wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game i get it like going for a touchdown there whatever it was fourth and goal from the two at the end of the first half but i think it's the mentality of the team like you're an offense that most of the year did keep your foot on the gas mm-hmm. and go for it in those situations and then what happened with everything on the line you, you kick a chip shot field goal to make it 21 12 is the, is the goal to lose by less points or is it to win um, I, I think that the roster looks really strong and they got, you know, they need one of those young pass rushers to, to break through and get after Mahomes. I'm not sure if they really got that figured out. We'll, we'll see how these rookies pan out, but it, it, more than anything, it's, it's Sean McDermott. It's the approach of just playing to win in that moment. Uh, oh, I don't, I'm not, I, I would think if I'm a Bills fan, I'm pretty frustrated by, by that. Me too. I think that last year might've been the year. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that out loud, even though I just did. Um, <laughs> let's let's finish off on this. It's a little bit more in my neck of the woods, so I apologize if this is sort of out of your skates a little bit, but uh, you do a lot of work with a lot of different positions, but there's there's just nothing more, more important than the quarterback. You know that. Everybody knows that. Maybe the most important single position in all of sports for a lot of things, and, and financially speaking as well now. Are we getting to a point, though? I mean, the Mahomes contract, I don't believe, will get passed in the next... Mm. One to two years. I don't. I don't think the Allens, the Jacksons, the Mayfields will supersede forty-five million dollars per year on an average annual value. So, you know, he's got to set. He's he set this bar similar to how Calvin Johnson set the bar for wide receivers like six years out. <laughs> I mean, no. And Adrian Peterson did the same with running backs forever. Nobody's ever going back to Adrian Peterson numbers. So, the we. Are we going to get to a breaking point with the quarterbacks like we have with every other position? And there's been a renaissance with wide receivers a little bit, but I see another breaking point coming there when players like Michael Thomas and Amari Cooper are probably going to get either massively restructured or outright released traded next year out of those big contracts for cap purposes. Um, Are we going to get to that point with the quarterback or, or is what I said initially just going to continue to grow steam that the quarterback is more and more important every single year and whatever it takes to pay them and get that guy under contract for six, seven years, 
after the rookie deal, of course, I'm talking about, it's just going to always get done. Fantastic question. I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> I mean, it's central to everything. I mean, really, that, that question right there is really should be at the top of every whiteboard and every front office. I mean, in every discussion, because I, I think teams would love to be these Buffalo Bills yeah. or those Seattle Seahawks when they're on Russell Wilson's rookie deal. If you've got a rookie deal, a quarterback on a rookie deal, and you can just spend like crazy and build around that player while you know that player is good enough to win, man, that is a sweet spot to be. But that decision to pay up for that quarterback as the market just keeps soaring, we've seen teams continue to, to, to check that box and, and go all in, and it hasn't always worked. It's I, almost I it's never gonna, worked. It, 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 we've never seen the highest paid quarterback in the league win the Super Bowl ever. Such a good point. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, mean, I guess Flacco was kind of the, uh, in a, in a lot of ways, he started this, right? Like he bet on himself. He yeah. won the Super Bowl. They yeah. paid up for him. Since then, uh, I don't know. I, I still tend to think that these quarterbacks are, are still going to keep getting paid like crazy because there's that business side of it too. I don't know how, like if you have a Josh Allen, for example, and you know, even, even if you're skeptical, even if you think, Oh my God, what if he goes back to 2018, 2019, Josh Allen, like we can't get him all this money. How, how do you sell that from a business perspective to your fans and say, all right, right, Bills fans, like it's time to live in quarterback purgatory again and shuffle through the Kelly Holcombs and Bledsoe's and JP Lawsman's and Trent Edwards. Like they don't want that. And the bills don't want to risk that as sweet as it would be to get another quarterback on a rookie deal. So you just pay him. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe it changes if there's, you know, more Kyle Shanahan sized egos running the show and they believe, Hey, I'm the one that's going to call the perfect play for the perfect situation. All you have to do is complete the pass, but I don't, I, I tend to think quarterbacks will always drive this game. It's uh, you brought up a couple of names there. I want to touch on real quick. So, Look, this is obviously the worst kept secret in all of sports, right? That the rookie quarterback contract is the best value. It's the best bang for buck in all of sports. Bill Belichick literally just said that almost verbatim a couple of days ago about his situation with Mac Jones, if, if that can, of course, come to fruition. But if, if the, all of these people and him specifically are saying this out loud, then does that mean that they're getting to a point where they're considering what I'm saying. And, and I got to tell you, I thought we were already going to have this happen. I thought for sure it was going to be Sean McVay and Jared Goff. They were going to be the first example of a high quarterback that ran its course out the rookie contract, maybe even took a franchise tag and then wipe our hands clean. We're cutting bait. We're starting over doing this thing again. And that's just how quarterbacks play, are going to operate in this league right now. Because once you go from 7 million a year to 35 million a year, a lot of things are different. <laughs> a lot of things change. Uh, it didn't happen. And, and not only that, Ty, but he went and got himself another veteran quarterback. You know, not Jared Goff money. Matthew Stafford is obviously not that expensive on a traded contract. But he, he kind of pushed it back in my face and then stepped on top of my head with that move. Because, <laughs> because you know what I'm saying? Because that's not just saying we're done with Jared Goff. It's saying... We're done with young rookie quarterbacks that we have to mold. I want a guy who I know exactly what I'm getting right now because, and, and maybe this is a more global point and something you've probably talked about before, but sports is not about four years down the road anymore at all. It is about at max 24 months, you know, at max, probably 18 months for most sports and most teams because of coach turnover, GM turnover, just the, the lot of it and certainly player turnover. Um, and I think there's a real cause for concern about the, di the dichotomy between, well, if the highest paid quarterback can't win, and generally speaking, the rookies can't win, you know, uh, with, the, with a small fraction of examples, then is what Tom Brady has been doing, and I know this is such a played out point, but it, I, is it true? Is what Tom Brady's been doing this whole time the absolute perfect answer for this for every team in the league? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you put it so perfectly there. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady is the gold standard in, in more ways than one. You know, what's kind of remarkable too is how so many quarterbacks today wish they could be Tom Brady. I'm sure that's what Aaron Rodgers is thinking too. Some of Russell Wilson, Absolutely. a lot of these guys who want it out. Like, and isn't, isn't Jordy Nelson, Julian Edelman, right? I mean, there's so many parallels there to how yeah. Brady has done things just one step better his whole career. 
100%. But there's only one Tom Brady. Like, as much as Rodgers or Wilson or any Wait, quarterback. Wait, but is that true? That's kind of where I was going, man, is it, Tom Brady's outstanding. You know, his efficiency, all that, with the way he's been able to mold and, and maintain and blah, 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 Le, you know, LeBron-esque. But, but how much of it really is that he's been 18 to 25 million per year for the last 17 years or whatever it's been off, offside, outside of that rookie contract? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, the second he could max, he maxed. The second mm-hmm. Russell Wilson could max, he maxed. And, you know, they haven't gotten to the finish line since. So what are we doing here? You know, I, I just think at some point, somebody's got to get in front of these people's faces and say, look, you know, I, I realize that guy's got a ton of endorsements, but so do you. We see those faces all over TV and all over billboards and all over magazines still. I, at some point, that somebody's going to have to have a revelation and say, everybody who wants to win has to do it this way, right? No doubt. And I know the Packers would have loved to have gotten Aaron Rodgers a weapon or two that he so wanted if he would have been willing to contractually allow them to do it. Um, yeah. he, he isn't going to go that Tom Brady route. Like I, uh, you're I mean, right. I, we don't talk enough about that with Brady and that selflessness year in and year out to take less money so they can sign this guy, sign that guy. I get it. Like all the endorsements and he's married to Giselle who makes more than him. Yeah, I know. No doubt about it. But if we're just talking about a model to follow, yeah, that is the best model to follow. It's hard to sell to a player, you know, with that kind of ego and that kind of talent who isn't going to want to take less money and believes that the salary cap isn't real and that you should just pay me what I'm worth and figure the rest out. Um, but I, I think that every team, no doubt about it, they, they'd love their star quarterback to just stay in that range and then go sign the Antonio Browns and Leonard Fournette's and Rob Gronkowski's and, and do whatever they want. It's fair. It's an interesting year. I mean, we're seeing so many other sports sort of fall in this direction, right? And the Tampa Bay Rays are the best team in baseball again. What is happening, right? The world is backwards. Um, <laughs> you know, Moneyball is not even Moneyball. It's just kind of the way it is in sports right now. And yeah, I just so wonder when, it, when that becomes a thing in the NFL. I, I wonder when teams decide, you know, we're going to lower our, our expectations. We're going to come right down to that spending floor um, because you're right, cap is flexible. We can always make that splash move when we need to, but when we can't win, for instance, you're the Jets right now, you know, and you're looking up at a Miami team that may be markedly better than a good team last year, and a Bills team that's an AFC Super Bowl contender, and a Patriots team that should absolutely be better than last year because of all the things that went wrong in Haywire. If you're the Jets, you just pause, right? I mean, you financially pause. And I know that's a terrible thing to say from a competitive standpoint, Mm -hmm. but the business hat in me just says, this is what all the other sports are doing. This is what the NBA has been dealing with. This is what certainly what baseball has been dealing with. And the NFL sort of been, you know, they've been okay getting around that, that whole fact. Uh, But there's two things going against the NFL right now. One, there's all these other models, like, like I just mentioned that are doing it. And there are maybe eight teams that can win the Super Bowl, and that's it right now. And and B, they still have a system, a draft system that rewards the worst teams, and that scares the hell out of me over the, for the next couple of seasons for teams that don't have a legitimate chance, you know. And, and it scares me for veterans who are trying to get paid and not superstars. I'm talking about just you know, run of the mill, blue collar, need them out there guys who should be making eight nine million, but might not even get more than two right now. Yes. Yes, that is the player. That is the contract that is getting squeezed out here, and it's absolutely worrisome. I, I, I would I would hope that there's a, a bright mind out there. Uh, I guess it takes more than the bright GM. It takes an owner willing You're right. to go that route. And, you know, you can't just tell your fan base, hey, guys, you know, we're not going to try to win this year. It's it's harder to do in football with trying to get those, those cans and seats. I, I, I get it, but if there was a way to kind of thread that needle from a PR perspective while also taking this huge quantum leap behind the scenes on how you're actually going to construct your roster. I I do think fans would be in on that. I mean, there's so many fan bases that have been jerked around and and sold a winner year in and year out only, only to be crushed. Like it takes the ownership to be willing to do that. Maybe lose some money in the short term. If it means long-term success and it takes a GM to kind of, figure out that formula that that's going to work. And it's why, like, I mean, I did a big, a big story, two part story on, on the Minnesota Vikings when I launched to go along. And just because it kind of blows my mind, it just seems like right now their team kind of bashing their head against the wall. No question. Perfect and, example, you know, man. You know, it's like, 
Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins. Like he'll, you can sell that your team is going to make the playoffs and that's great. And ownership is maybe they kind of wanted that when they're building the new stadium and they didn't want to just totally reset, but into last season when they restructured that deal and they kind of convinced themselves that they could win now while their defense was gutted because they had to make room for that deal. Like, it's like what are you trying to do? Like, what's the plan here? I, I did not understand it. I, I completely agree. It's a perfect example of being stuck. And we've had too many teams be there and they're spending so much cash and wasting so many good careers. I mean, they've had unbelievable drafts. Really, they've done really well in, in terms of bringing in young kids that a lot of teams passed on and made the best out of it. But their free agency, their trade situation, it's been... And look, Daniel Hunter is going to be the next conversation there. What happens there mm-hmm. in terms of that contract? So um, good good, good point. No question about it. You mentioned it again. It's golongtd.com. He is Ty Dunn on Twitter. Ty, this was great, man. Let's get some beers next time. What do you think? Oh, my God. We're 15 minutes apart. we got to make it happen. I know uh, we were just talking about our families and our kids and our lives are kind of getting yanked in a million directions. But where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Hamburg Brewing Company is calling. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Shameless plug. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're a podcast sponsor, right? That was orga- <laughs> It was organic. It was organic. But, you know. <laughs> Thanks, man. This is great. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate it. All right. My thanks to Ty Dunn. He is one of the best out there. Long-form writer, excellent interviewer, way better at this stuff than I am for sure. Please check him out and consider subscribing. It is one of those things that's different than everything else. Worth your time, worth your money. You will get hooked. Uh, The guests are outstanding. He has forged quite a few relationships over his 10 plus year career in this industry. And uh, he's really damn good at this stuff. GoLongTD.com. Get you started there for sure. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track 40% off your first year today. And of course, to Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, helping prospective NFL and NBA draft prospects financially get themselves ready to play. MorganStanley.com slash GSE. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 